Chapter Fifteen of Anne of Geierstein, Volume Two, by Sir Walter Scott. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Dion Gines, Salt Lake City, Utah. Toll, toll the bell. Greatness is o'er. The heart has broke to ache no more. An unsubstantial pageant all drop o'er the scene the funeral pall old poem the commotion and shrieks of fear and amazement which were excited among the ladies of the court by an event so singular and shocking had begun to abate and the sighs more serious though less intrusive of the few english attendants of the deceased queen began to be heard together with the groans of old king rene whose emotions were as acute as they were short-lived the leeches had held a busy but unavailing consultation and the body that was once a queen's was delivered to the priest of saint Sauveur, that beautiful church in which the spoils of pagan temples have contributed to fill up the magnificence of the christian edifice the stately pile was duly lighted up and the funeral provided with such splendour as x could supply the queen's papers being examined it was found that margaret by disposing of jewels and living at small expense had realized the means of making a decent provision for life for her very few english attendants her diamond necklace described in her last will as in the hands of an english merchant named john philipson or his son or the price thereof if by them sold or pledged she left to the said john philipson and his son arthur philipson with a view to the prosecution of the design which they had been destined to advance or if that should prove impossible to their own use and profit the charge of her funeral rites was wholly entrusted to arthur called philipson with a request that they should be conducted entirely after the forms observed in england this trust was expressed in an addition to her will signed the very day on which she died arthur lost no time in dispatching tybalt express to his father with a letter explaining in such terms as he knew would be understood the tenor of all that had happened since he came to aix and above all the death of queen margaret finally he requested directions for his motions since the necessary delay occupied by the obsequies of a person of such eminent rank must detain him at aix till he should receive them the old king sustained the shock of his daughter's death so easily that on the second day after the event he was engaged in arranging a pompous procession for the funeral and composing an elegy to be sung to a tune also of his own composing in honour 
of the deceased queen who was likened to the goddesses of heathen mythology and to judith deborah and all the other holy women not to mention the saints of the christian dispensation it cannot be concealed that when the first burst of grief was over king rene could not help feeling that margaret's death cut a political knot which he might have otherwise found it difficult to untie and permitted him to take open part with his grandson so far indeed as to afford him a considerable share of the contents of the provencal treasury which amounted to no larger sum than ten thousand crowns ferrand having received the blessing of his grandfather in a form which his affairs rendered most important to him returned to the resolutes whom he commanded and with him after a most loving farewell to arthur went the stout but simple-minded young swiss sigismund biederman the little court of aix were left to their mourning king rene for whom ceremonial and show whether of a joyful or melancholy character was always matter of importance would willingly have bestowed on solemnizing the obsequies of his daughter margaret what remained of his revenue but was prevented from doing so partly by remonstrances from his ministers partly by the obstacles opposed by the young englishman who acting upon the presumed will of the dead interfered to prevent any such fantastic exhibitions being produced at the obsequies of the queen as had disgusted her during her life the funeral therefore after many days had been spent in public prayers and acts of devotion was solemnized with the mournful magnificence due to the birth of the deceased and with which the church of rome so well knows how to affect at once the eye ear and feelings amid the various nobles who assisted on the solemn occasion there was one who arrived just as the tolling of the great bells of st Sever had announced that the procession was already on its way to the cathedral the stranger hastily exchanged his travelling dress for a suit of deep mourning which was made after the fashion proper to england so attired he repaired to the cathedral where the noble mien of the cavalier imposed such respect on the attendants that he was permitted to approach close to the side of the bier and it was across the coffin of the queen for whom he had acted and suffered so much that the gallant earl of oxford exchanged a melancholy glance with his son the assistants especially the english servants of margaret gazed on them both with respect and wonder and the elder cavalier in particular seemed to them no unapt representative of the faithful subjects of england paying their last duty at the tomb of her 
who had so long swayed the sceptre if not faultlessly yet always with a bold and resolved hand the last sound of the solemn dirge had died away and almost all the funeral attendants had retired when the father and son still lingered in mournful silence beside the remains of their sovereign the clergy at length approached and intimated they were about to conclude the last duties by removing the body which had been lately occupied and animated by so haughty and restless a spirit to the dust darkness and silence of the vault where the long-descended counts of provence awaited dissolution six priests raised the bier on their shoulders others bore huge waxen torches before and behind the body as they carried it down a private staircase which yawned in the floor to admit their descent the last notes of their requiem in which the churchmen joined had died away along the high and fretted arches of the cathedral the last flash of light which arose from the mouth of the vault had glimmered and disappeared when the earl of oxford taking his son by the arm led him in silence forth into a small cloistered court behind the building where they found themselves alone they were silent for a few minutes for both and particularly the father were deeply affected at length the earl spoke and this then is her end said he here royal lady all that we have planned and pledged life upon falls to pieces with thy dissolution the heart of resolution the head of policy is gone and what avails it that the limbs of the enterprise still have motion and life alas margaret of anjou may heaven reward thy virtues and absolve thee from the consequence of thine errors both belonged to thy station and if thou didst hoist too high a sail in prosperity never lived there princess who defied more proudly the storms of adversity or bore up against them with such dauntless nobility of determination with this event the drama has closed and our parts my son are ended we bear arms then against the infidels my lord said arthur with a sigh that was however hardly audible not answered the earl until i learn that henry of richmond the undoubted heir of the house of lancaster has no occasion for my services in these jewels of which you wrote me so strangely lost and recovered i may be able to supply him with resources more needful than either your services or mine but i return no more to the camp of the duke of burgundy for in him there is no help can it be possible that the power of so great a sovereign has been overthrown in one fatal battle said arthur by no means replied his father the loss at grandson was very great but to the strength of burgundy it is but a scratch 
on the shoulders of a giant it is the spirit of charles himself his wisdom at least and his foresight which have given way under the mortification of a defeat by such as he accounted inconsiderable enemies and expected to have trampled down with a few squadrons of his men-at-arms then his temper is become froward peevish and arbitrary devoted to those who flatter and as there is too much reason to believe betray him and suspicious of those counsellors who give him wholesome advice even i have had my share of distrust thou knowest i refused to bear arms against our late hosts the swiss and he saw in that no reason for rejecting my attendance on his march but since the defeat of granson i have observed a strong and sudden change owing perhaps in some degree to the insinuations of campo basso and not a little to the injured pride of the duke who was unwilling that an indifferent person in my situation and thinking as i do should witness the disgrace of his arms he spoke in my hearing of lukewarm friends cold-blooded neutrals of those who not being with him must be against him i tell thee arthur de vere the duke has said that which touched my honour so nearly that nothing but the commands of queen margaret and the interests of the house of lancaster could have made me remain in his camp that is over my royal mistress has no more occasion for my poor services the duke can spare no aid to our cause and if he could we can no longer dispose of the only bribe which might have induced him to afford us succours the power of seconding his views on province is buried with margaret of anjou what then is your purpose demanded his son i propose said oxford to wait at the court of king rene until i can hear from the earl of richmond as we must still call him i am aware that banished men are rarely welcome at the court of a foreign prince but i have been the faithful follower of his daughter margaret i only propose to reside in disguise and desire neither notice nor maintenance so methinks king rene will not refuse to permit me to breathe the air of his dominions until i learn in what direction fortune or duty shall call me be assured he will not answered arthur rene is incapable of a base or ignoble thought and if he could despise trifles as he detests dishonour he might be ranked high in the list of monarchs this resolution being adopted the son presented his father at king rene's court whom he privately made acquainted that he was a man of quality and a distinguished lancastrian the good king would in his heart have preferred a guest of lighter accomplishments and gayer temper to oxford a statesman and a soldier of melancholy 
and grave habits the earl was conscious of this and seldom troubled his benevolent and light-hearted host with his presence he had however an opportunity of rendering the old king a favour of peculiar value this was in conducting an important treaty betwixt rene and louis the eleventh of france his nephew upon that crafty monarch rene finally settled his principality for the necessity of extricating his affairs by such a measure was now apparent even to himself every thought of favouring charles of burgundy in the arrangement having died with queen margaret the policy and wisdom of the english earl who was entrusted with almost the sole charge of this secret and delicate measure were of the utmost advantage to good king rene who was freed from personal and pecuniary vexations and enabled to go piping and tabbering to his grave louis did not fail to propitiate the plenipotentiary by throwing out distant hopes of aid to the efforts of the lancastrian party in england a faint and insecure negotiation was entered into upon the subject and these affairs which rendered two journeys to paris necessary on the part of oxford and his son in the spring and summer of the year fourteen seventy six occupied them until that year was half spent in the meanwhile the wars of the duke of burgundy with the swiss cantons and count ferrand of lorraine continued to rage before midsummer fourteen seventy six charles had assembled a new army of at least sixty thousand men supported by one hundred and fifty pieces of cannon for the purpose of invading switzerland where the warlike mountaineers easily levied a host of thirty thousand switzers now accounted almost invincible and called upon their confederates the free cities on the rhine to support them with a powerful body of cavalry the first efforts of charles were successful he overran the pays de vaud and recovered most of the places which he had lost after the defeat at granson but instead of attempting to secure a well-defended frontier or what would have been still more politic to achieve a peace upon equitable terms with his redoubtable neighbours this most obstinate of princes resumed the purpose of penetrating into the recesses of the alpine mountains and chastising the mountaineers even within their own strongholds though experience might have taught him the danger nay desperation of the attempt thus the news received by oxford and his son when they returned to aix in midsummer was that duke charles had advanced to morat or merton situated upon a lake of the same name at the very entrance of switzerland here report said that adrian de buvenberg a veteran knight of bern commanded and maintained the most obstinate defence in expectation 
of the relief which his countrymen were hastily assembling alas my old brother in arms said the earl to his son on hearing these tidings this town besieged these assaults repelled this vicinity of an enemy's country this profound lake these inaccessible cliffs threaten a second part of the tragedy of granson more calamitous perhaps than even the former on the last week of june the capital of provence was agitated by one of those unauthorized yet generally received rumours which transmit great events with incredible swiftness as an apple flung from hand to hand by a number of people will pass a given space infinitely faster than if borne by the most rapid series of expresses the report announced a second defeat of the burgundians in terms so exaggerated as induced the earl of oxford to consider the greater part if not the whole as a fabrication End of chapter 15